Well, hello and welcome to the e-commerce podcast with me, your host, Matt Edmondson, a show that is all about helping you deliver e-commerce wow. Now, I am excited as always with today's guest. I am chatting with the legend uh, Andy Hooper from Global E-Commerce Experts. Uh, we're going to get into conversations about basically how to do international expansion uh, for your e-commerce business because no man is an island and no e-commerce business should just be in its own country, probably. And if you are looking for some international expansion, then do carry on listening because this is a great conversation with Andy. But before I get into it, one of the things I love to do now, I've been doing this for a few weeks, um, is just giving a shout out to past guests and episodes uh, that are related to the topic that we're talking about, which is how to make the most of your EU expansion strategy. So today... Here are a couple of episodes that are worth listening to if you're new to the podcast and haven't heard them yet already. Uh, the first one is Jesse Rags. Should you sell on multiple online marketplaces? And for the keen-eared amongst you, you will know that's quite a recent episode. Oh, yes. Uh, so you may well have heard that one. But have you heard... Uh, how the perfect warehouse could save you time and money and make your life easier. My interview with Justin Smith. That one is definitely also worth checking out. The man, I've never met anyone with as much knowledge on how to set up a warehouse and, and sort of as, as this guy. So do check out my conversation with Justin. Now, this episode is brought to you by the e-commerce cohort, which helps you deliver e-commerce well to your customers. If you don't know what cohort is, stay tuned because I'm about to tell you. Yes, uh, e-commerce cohort is a lightweight uh, monthly guided coaching program. It's 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 awesome. Uh, it's basically for those who have been in e-commerce for a little while and those who are just starting out, right? Uh, it's like I say, it's a lightweight membership. It's a monthly thing. And we cycle through all the key areas of e-commerce, the sole purpose of which is to provide you with clear, actionable jobs to be done so you'll know what to work on. And more importantly, you'll have the support to get it done. So whether, like I say, you're starting out or whether, like me, you've been around for a while, can I encourage you to check out ecommercecohort.com if you are in e-commerce at all. Uh, it's, it's definitely worth checking out, let me tell you. It's gearing up for its founding member launch. Uh, so do check out the incredible offers they've got going on there at the moment. And if you've got any questions about it, do email me directly at matt at ecommercepodcast.net with any questions because out of all the things that we've done, this is the one I'm most proud of. We've done online courses, we've done all kinds of stuff in the past, and we've taken all of that learning and put it together in the cohorts. Yes. Oh, so looking forward to this thing. Do come join us in it. Now, Andy uh, is an e-commerce guru. He's been successfully expanding uh, e-commerce brands into new markets for over 15 years, which in e-commerce terms is a very, very long time. Uh, and he has worked with companies around the world to provide comprehensive gateways and solutions to new markets. Andy started his career from the ground up and has since carved out a niche uh, inspired by his own experience and success in growing an organization's profits through e-commerce. 
with an infectious energy. And that actually sums Andy up very well. Infectious, infectious energy. Uh, he leads a team of professionals in all aspects of e-commerce. His global e-commerce team provides Happle for Happle? I don't know what Happle is, but they provide it. Uh, and also hassle-free end-to-end solutions that have helped thousands of sellers capitalize on the multi-billion dollar UK and EU markets. Bottom line, Andy knows his stuff and he loves having fun while he does it. As you'll hear in the interview, one of the things uh, that you can find him do when he's not working, he enjoys sailing, cycling, kayaking, and just hanging out with his friends and family on England's south coast. Yes, he's a fellow Brit. Yes, you're gonna wanna grab your notebooks and pens uh, because here's my conversation with Andy. Andy, thanks for joining me here on the e-commerce podcast. Uh, and you have a quintessentially English accent. So you are, in fact, in England, I assume. I definitely am. Yeah, like you could self. Uh, I am based in an hour south of London uh, in a place just outside a place called Southampton. Oh, OK. Does that mean you're a Saints fan? No, I'm not. No, um, I'm uh, an Arsenal fan because I grew up North London. OK, so that's where... Uh, yeah, my, my my loyalties lie, although, to be quite honest, uh, I don't follow it anywhere near as much as I okay. used to. Okay, sort of giving up the ghost. Is that, is that <laughs> I, see, I'm in Liverpool, right? And, and I appreciate this is an e-commerce podcast, and we will start talking about e-commerce. It's not a football <laughs> podcast. Uh, but I'm in Liverpool, and I came to Liverpool. Not many people know this, actually. I came to Liverpool in 1992, 30 years ago. And the reason I moved here um, for the university, the reason I chose the university was because I was a big Liverpool football club fan, always have been my whole life. And I just wanted to be closer to, to Anfield. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? How sort of football impacts your life at certain points. Uh, and, yep. and then there's periods where you don't talk about it or think about it for a little while. And obviously being a Liverpool fan in the modern era, I am talking about it a lot because it's the first chance I've had to do that for a while. Yeah, I bet. Well, I mean, I remember when I was a I was a kid, they were sort of, yeah, it was them and Spurs at the time mm. that were really sort of leading. Then obviously it all changes over and it all goes through it periods, does doesn't it? Like, around, you know, it? it'll change again. So, <laughs> sorry. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so e-commerce. Um, now, Andy, I said in the intro that what you do is uh, successfully expand brands into Europe. That's what your specialty is. You kind of help people get set up into Europe. Europe, right? Exactly. Um, how did you get started in this whole thing? Uh, <laughs> so I laugh, and I, I'm sorry to anyone listening why I laugh, because like most business owners, um, I think the buzzwords entrepreneurs, but yeah, like most business owners, we all have a varied path into things in most cases. Yeah. So I was, I had a, the, the short answer is I had a job. And I loved doing what I was doing. My job was to get more people into sailing. You know, my job was to talk to people about sailing all day. Oh, wow. Like, how difficult can that be? Mm. Well, it was just epic. Yeah. Loved it. The problem is, whenever you do a job that is truly epic, it normally doesn't pay very much money. <laughs> and it, don't get me wrong, it was it was it was it was a, it was a decent salary. Mm. But the reality is, I had expectations for you know, slightly you know, better things in life. Let's say anyway, two thousand eight nine, the financial crash happened, and Basically, I was a little bit screwed for cash. And at that point, I realized I never wanted anyone else to be in control of my finances again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, in metaphorically speaking, because, you know, when you've still got a business, someone's still in control of some of those yeah. things because, but at least you've got the ability to go and try and earn yeah, more. Yeah. So that was really the catalyst. And then from there, I did a whole host of things. So we looked after dogs when people went on holiday. We uh, flipped things on eBay. We sold stuff on Amazon. We uh, went to car boot sales. I did wedding photography and the list mm. goes on and on and yeah. on. Um, I'm loving it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I got to 2014, I just, well, 2012 was the Olympic Games in London. And at that point, I set myself a goal that within the next two years, I would leave employment and set up on my own. Okay. So I basically started saving the cash to um, set up a business so that I could pay for my current then salary for the first year without working. Okay. So uh, that's what happened. In, I actually left at the beginning of 2015 um, because circumstances just led to that. So I had a year of salary in the, in the bank, so to speak. And I was like, right, I've got to make this work. The reality is I probably need a bit more than a year's salary because I hadn't really factored in for advertising yeah, and yeah. funding. And But anyway, long story short is I made it work and, and here we are now. But how I got into e-commerce or well, into this role specifically was that I was doing some um, consultancy and doing some management consultancy in the end because I was trying to earn more, a bit more cash. Mm. And I was doing some work. I was still selling stuff on Amazon. And I knew that in 2016, what was going to happen was the rules were changing for sellers on Amazon specifically, that Amazon would require overseas sellers to be VAT registered. Okay. And they needed to show that they were VAT registered online. Anyway, I was doing some management consulting for an accountant. We struck a really great relationship. Um, a, a spark and an idea was formed. And, and that's our global e-commerce experts essentially started was by solving the problem for overseas sellers expanding into Europe based on my experience of flipping stuff on eBay, selling stuff on Amazon and selling stuff on Amazon for me was okay. I was earning, you know, a few thousand out of it a month. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't my core interest. Yeah. Let's say I don't really get a buzz from selling stuff. Okay. I get a buzz from selling services and serving people. Um, so there we go. That was a quick fire. Well, it wasn't that quick in the end, was it? But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was helpful. Yeah, it was helpful. So you, you've you've since then uh, been helping people sort of get um, established in Europe, right? And and building their businesses in Europe. And one of the things that we talked about on our pre-call, as a result of this, you've got your um, success pathway, haven't you? Your say, these sort of seven steps. Um, yep. that we're going to get into uh, in, in this podcast. Um, and is this something that you, uh, before we get into what they are, is this something that you saw quite early on as a pattern emerging when you were helping people get established in Europe? Yeah, exactly that. So, you know, I'm a I'm a problem solver. I like to, I, I like to you know, feel like we're, we're making a difference. And, and I'm a coach. My, my background is coaching people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether it be businesses or people, that's what I really love doing. And because of that, I'm a bit of a problem solver. And what happened was when we first started working with these clients for VAT specifically, they were like, well, I've expanded to Europe and, you know, or the UK. And then they need, well, I need someone to send my returns or to receive some stock. So, okay. So we built out a warehouse and mm -hmm. then it was, a, then there was a next problem and the next problem. And, and, you know, it basically over time, we basically built out all these different services, which we, yeah, we'll, we'll go through. But what happened was, is 
the more you talk to your clients and the more you understand them, what happens is, is you're identifying ways and, and to see what the problems are to solve. Mm -hmm. So the pathway essentially came out. We work with you around about 2000 clients that we've expanded and doing that across lots of different services, whether it be, you know, compliance or logistics or account management doesn't really matter. But the advantage is we see the data. Yeah. So what, we, what we've been able to do is work out what actually does success look like, number one, you know, and what does that, what does that look like? But what are all the different components that add up to making that work? Because whenever you're, you're going into something new, you want someone that's basically been there, done it, and can speed up the process. You've either got time or you've got cash. Mm. And if you haven't got the cash, you've normally got the time. And if you've got the time, you haven't got the cash. So <laughs> That's true, yeah. there's two ways of looking at it. And we're all at different stages of that, depending on how much something is to invest in. <laughs> um, so there's always a balance. So that, mm. that's really how we came up with this pathway was looking at what our successful clients were doing, looking at what the data was telling us and looking at what the metrics were saying was, okay, how does this work? Mm. Would this make sense? Okay. And, and let's bridge that gap to make it easy. Yeah, that's interesting. I like what you said there, although it's not related to the topic necessarily at hand, how you would talk to your customers and listen to them and you would find problems to solve. Uh, and the more you talk to the customers, the more you understood what those problems were and you could then increase your service range and offer services to them. I think yeah. this is such a fundamental principle of business um, that mm. we've almost forgotten it in the world of e-commerce because you never have to talk to your customers. You know, you just whack stuff on a website and away you go. And I think, yes. I think actually, if you're going to, my experience here is if you want to be successful in the long term, if you want longevity in e-commerce, you've got to do some of these old fashioned, I call them old fashioned, do you know what I mean? But these sort of old fashioned business principles, ideas where you go, actually, no, I need to talk to my customers. I need to do a bit of research here and find out how, how, I, how else I can help them uh, because you never know where that's going to lead, right? No. And so the, we, we basically had one question we asked everyone to talk to you because we're doing running you know, we supply services so you know it's not like a product to a degree you know that's it, a slightly different model isn't it but the you know, from a service point of view i i wanted us to always be in contact with our clients and i asked them to ask the team to always just ask one question how's your expansion going mm. or talk me through how you i mean i would say so tell me through how your expansion's going uh, and and that just opens up to Sometimes it's, oh, yeah, that's fine. No problems. Some people say, oh, yeah, it's going really well, but we're struggling with this or we're looking to do this or we don't know how to do that. And that is literally where we found out what those problems were because people were coming to us and saying, well, I want to expand, but it's too difficult. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to remove the pain everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think it's such a valid thing to do, you know, figure out the, the sort of the questions that you want to ask your customers and just that simple one question. You know, what, what is it for yeah. your business? What is it for your industry? Uh, yeah. Makes an awful lot of sense. And just keep asking that same question. I like that. How did yeah. you, I mean, I guess when I think about that question, how's the expansion going? That makes a lot of sense because you're helping people expand into Europe. It was this yeah. a question you thought through or was it just something that just you kind of went, no, this, this is a question that makes sense. Let's just ask that and it opened the doors. I, I can't remember in all honesty. I, I think because... You know, at the beginning, you know, anyone who's got a business will understand, you know, you, at the beginning, you're doing everything. Mm. And then slowly, as you take on people, you're, 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 you're moving away from certain bits mm. in different ways. 
and for me, the focus on the customer is the critical part. We, we want to successfully expand clients. Well, the only way we can do that is by understanding what the success looks like. I don't know whether it was something that I kept on saying to people, you know, tell me for how your expansion's going. And I, I think just the conversation just kept on having. I don't think it was, well, what question can we ask our clients? Mm. And, and I think, you know, we all go through these, well, let's do our business plan. Let's do the strategy. What, what strategic questions should we ask? Our, I think some of the best things happen, not by strategically thinking, but by just it happening. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I think you modify that. And to be fair, you know, the team here, some, some of the team feel really comfortable by saying to their client, you know, tell me through how your expansion's going and having a really good conversation. Some of them, especially our data analysts that do VAT, well, we've employed them because they're epic at doing VAT, right? We've employed them because they're epic at data. We haven't employed them because they're epic of having conversations yeah, with yeah. clients on the phone. So some of them find it more difficult in all honesty. But, you know, I, I think it was just, it was an easy, you're talking to your client, just ask them how their yeah, expansions yeah. go. It, that's just great service. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it, right? So, and I like what you said, what does success look like? What does success look like yeah. for your customer? Uh, and yeah. I'm talking around that. I think it's just so useful. Anyway, we've taken a slight rabbit trail, as we always like to on these uh, Great. shows, because the gold is always in the rabbit trails. Um, yes. <laughs> let's get into your pathway. Um, so the seven basic steps, right? And I've got them here. I'm going I'm to read them out. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to get into uh, we're going to get into the seven basic steps of your success pathway on how to expand into Europe. So number one, market research. Number two, compliance. Number three, marketplace. Number four is 3PL. Number five, promote products. Number six, your website. And number seven, grow, right? Or growth, what will you call growth? And so uh, have, I, have I got that right, Andy? Yep. Um, that's the main thing. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt, first, first thing, mate, you got it all wrong. It's all backwards. Uh, <laughs> Test one complete. <laughs> so we are going to get into that. But before we do, don't go anywhere because we are just going to take a moment to hear from this week's show sponsors. Hey there, are you a business owner? Here at Orion Digital, we know firsthand that running an e-commerce business can be really hard work. As the online space gets more competitive, it is becoming even more challenging to stay ahead of the curve. We totally get it. So we want to help you succeed by offering a wide range of services, from fulfillment, marketing, customer service, and even coaching and consulting, just so that you can do what matters most. Save yourself the time and the money and let us handle the day-to-day -day tasks. This way, you can run your business without having to worry about the boring stuff. So what do you say? Are we a good fit for each other? Come check us out at oriondigital.com and let us know what you think. So, Andy, uh, your seven basic steps. Let's... Let's jump into them. The first one is market research. Um, I, I smile when I say this uh, because every good framework, I think, starts off with market research or it has that as a component at the beginning. And if it doesn't, I'm always a bit wary. So why have you got that? Um, so most of the clients that we work with are expanding into a new continent or a new region, certainly. So. What happens is, is that they're selling a, a, an epic little widget or product in, let's say, the States. Mm -hmm. A lot of our clients are selling in the States primarily. And they've got this product and they want to expand it into 
UK, Germany, France, Italy, Spain. The, the main core days of the e-commerce landscape in, in Europe, mm-hmm. right? The problem with that is, is that not one, not every product is relevant for every market, yep. first off. Uh, and, and secondly, different products sell better in some places than others. So something that sells really well in LA, because mm-hmm. we were just talking about that, might sell really well in um, south of France, Italy, and Spain, but be absolutely rubbish in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be products that sell better in northern parts of the States where they get a lot of snow in other parts of, of Europe. So it's crucial to do two things. One, understand the size of the market and that your products are relevant to be sold in those areas. And what returns could you expect based on your current market share that you've currently got? So if you know you've got a 6% market share in the States, for example, well, what does that market share look like if there was in Europe? Mm-hmm. And you can get a broad, and I, I'm, I'm hesitant you, a very broad idea of what that might look like. Mm. So the first thing is to do some form of feasibility study to make sure that the product can be sold. And there's, there's a compliance piece in there as well, because are your products, you know, and we're going to come on to compliance specifically next, but you do need to consider, you know, is your product, you know, can you sell animal fur, for example, is a great one. It can be sold in some parts of Europe and not in others. Like it's a great point to pick that up at the market research um, at that stage. Mm. And then the second part of market research is, product sourcing you with the current state of getting shipping around the world could you source your products locally so could you source the products and get them made in europe instead of getting them brought in from other parts of the world we can see now that actually i think that's becoming higher and higher on everyone's agenda uh we've been talking about it for a few years but actually can you look at sourcing your products locally? We've got one client that did this really successfully. They sell um, forts. So basically you, you buy a pack of cardboard forts and you build them for your kids instead of putting basically uh, chairs upside down and some, and some, and some bedding, yeah, yeah. I guess, is what we've all done. And what they did before they launched, they decided that in the States, they have somewhere in Mexico, I believe, making the products. Before they launched, they were going to find somewhere in Europe to do that, to reduce the costs of um, sourcing, to reduce the costs of travel, mm-hmm. shipments. And what a winner that's proved to be this year or in the last 18 months, because, well, all of a sudden, no one can get containers out of China and yeah, yeah. at a decent rate. Yeah. Um, so that, that, they're the two key parts, feasibility mm-hmm. and sourcing the product. Um, and some people do more or less of, of either of those. That's really interesting. I li- and I like, that, um, I like that idea of trying to, can you get the product made or manufactured local to where you're shipping it? Um, I, I think that's a really clever question. Um, principally because of, for me, it's just more of a sustainability thing. You know, it's much more yep. sustainable. Where do you go, Andy, to do market research? What sort of things do you think about? So things we're looking at is, you know, if you've got a product that's coming in, I mean, you can normally get a pretty good idea with a gut feel mm-hmm. based on what the product is. But really, people want data. Mm-hmm. So we use a whole load of different tools. You know, some of the tools that you'll know of, like things like Jungle Scout. Everyone's heard of Jungle Scout. Yeah. Helium 10. We use software to help us. Mm-hmm. That's certainly the first place we go. We can get a broad understand of market size in some of those softwares mm-hmm. by utilizing different tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so you can get an understanding of, is some selling something similar and what does that market look like Mm. if they're not selling that product 
is that product because there's no market for the product mm. or is it just a brand new innovative product? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a bit of research to do in that. And then second thing is where, what, what areas of Europe will they sell well in? So, you know, you, it, Will it sell well in the Nordics? Will it sell well in, in the hotter climes? You know, where, where mm. in Europe will it actually work better? And then identify, actually, is there some different marketplaces that might work best? Mm. Because quite often, you know, a lot of our clients sell on Amazon already, but quite often there's a whole load of other marketplaces that they should be selling on outside of that. Mm. But there's a process to do that, and we'll get all that onto that marketplace launch. But it's identifying, you know, would a product sell? Is there other people selling similar to that? Mm-hmm. What's a good price point for this product? Yeah. You know, and what sort of returns could they possibly get? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's basically using different pieces of software and intelligence from the data we've already got, mm-hmm. uh, because we can put into our software that internally, we've basically got essentially, you could call it a massive spreadsheet that has got different sort of products in, mm-hmm. and we can identify a similar sort of product and what sort of routes that taken. Yeah. Then we can look at what that looks like. Um, we've taken out all the client data, so it's not, you know, there's no GDPR or any issues like that. So we can then look at and say, well, how long, how quickly did this product scale? Mm-hmm. You know, how, you know, the problem with that is, Everyone puts different budgets behind things. So it's really hard to actually look at that and go, oh, well, this one didn't sell very well. Well, that's because they didn't put any budget behind it. Yeah. Like, or oh, they didn't have any stock for six months or, you know. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. Yeah. No, it's all useful questions to ask yourself. Uh, very useful questions. So that's stage one, right, is market research. Yep. Step two is compliance. And the thing that you said uh, in our pre-call about compliance, which I'm, I'm keen to get into, Compliance is the piece that no one wants to talk about and no one wants to pay for, but the reality <laughs> of it is everybody needs it, right? And so, um, and compliance yep. just isn't sexy, uh, is probably how I would uh, phrase that. So, why is compliance in? I mean, I know why compliance is in here, but you know, just give us a brief on on compliance. So, there's two areas to compliance. First of all, there's the product, and secondly, there's the business. So. First of all, you want to get the product compliant. So if you're expanding the product from another region, again, let's take the States or Australia or Canada or you know, Asia or wherever else that might be, the product has been designed for that market. Mm-hmm. So the regulations in that market are different to the regulations here in the UK or in the European Union. Yeah. So the, the, the regulations could be slightly different. So when you're looking at the product of the compliant, the product of so let me start that again. The compliance of the product, <laughs> easy for me to say. Uh, there's three things you need to consider. In, fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the first thing is, you know, what are the regulations the product falls under? Mm-hmm. So you need to identify what that regulation is. You then need to make sure that the product is compliant with that regulation and has the relevant certificates to make sure that it says so. And then thirdly, that the label on the product is compliant with the regulations also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and and to be honest, this pathway could be done in any, I mean, they're the three things you need to identify whether you're going into the UK, Europe, US, Asia, India, Australia, wherever. It's the same three things you need to identify. And they're the things you need to identify in that compliance piece. And it, you know, no one wants to go through that process because it's like, well, I've already got the product, just send it over, it'll be fine. Mm. The problem with that is that the regulators are putting more and more emphasis on the marketplaces to make sure that's correct. So what happens is you might send the product in, but if it doesn't get held up at customs, which it could do, 
it's most likely to get pulled up on a marketplace at some point. That doesn't mean to say that you won't be able to send it in and start selling it. But what you don't want to do is build this epic uh, product, get it selling, get great sales velocity, start selling the product, then only for it to be taken down because it's not compliant. Um, With a short piece of compliance beforehand checks, you can basically solve those problems. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... It's a little bit of headache at the beginning to basically just tick the boxes to a much bigger headache further down the line. Mm. Um, so that's the product compliance piece. And there's a whole load of different things in there around that. Then you've got business compliance. Now, the business compliance takes a whole load of different different formats. Let's, do, let's cover the first big piece, which is VAT mm-hmm. or GST in some places or sales tax in others. But for Europe, it's VAT, value added tax. The bottom line is, if you're selling a product in a country, the government wants some cash in return for you selling the product. Mm -hmm. Let's be reasonable about this. If you're selling something in someone's region, give them a little bit of cash for doing that. That really is the bottom line. And, you know, in, in most, in all European countries, they have VAT, they have import VAT and sales VAT. Um, You need to make sure that your business is able to, pay import VAT and collect it back and pay for sales VAT when you sell a product. Mm. And there's a lot of who's, where's, if, what's, and maybes in both of those. The bottom line is if you're selling products from within a country and you're fulfilling in a country, you need to pay VAT. Mm. And if you're sending a shed load of products to a country from another country, you need to pay VAT. Mm. Um, now there's a whole lot of thresholds and, and numbers in there, but yeah, that's where that's where you need to start thinking about is if you're you're selling a product somewhere, you need to pay VAT. Yeah. That's the bottom line. So that's that's the second part. And then there's two other parts to business compliance you need to be aware of. One is trademarks. I'm not going to go in too deeply, but if you want to build a solid e-commerce brand, you need to be trademarked. Yeah. I'm just going to leave that there as a compliance piece. And coming in at the moment, there's a lot of things called EPR, which is a recycling tax, specifically in France and Germany. But once it's a success there, they'll be putting it everywhere else in Europe. So basically what that is, is a very simply is a tax on recycling. So if you send a product into a country, they're going to basically charge you a little bit of tax to recycle the product. Um, And they're the pieces. And that's why compliance is important. You need to make sure you've got all these pieces solved at the beginning because it's much easier to do now when you're not selling anything than it is further down the line when you're unraveling a lot of string. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. That's a fair point, and I, I get that, and and uh, and I can see why actually um, people will contact you, Andy, um, because compliance is just one of those minefields, isn't it? It's just it's not sexy. People avoid it because it becomes like you know the Alice in Wonderland, doesn't it? How deep does this hole go, really? Yep. And you just get sucked into this whole thing, which is an absolute nightmare. So, compliance is on your list. Marketplace. Yep. You briefly touched on this a second ago, but let's dig into that. Yes, yeah, so I think the next thing is doing, and some of this will be come out of your market research, but what you really want to identify is what's the best marketplace for you to launch on? You know, and, and this is launching. This isn't succession. This isn't thinking in a year's time, I want to be on 20 different platforms in 20 different countries. This is your marketplace launch. Mm-hmm. What is the best place, bang for buck, for you to launch your products and your business in, in, in Europe. So depending on where you're selling beforehand is going to depend on that. If you are a 
if you've got your own website and let's say Shopify or other, you are selling on that. Well, clearly you're probably not going to launch on a marketplace. You're going to launch on your own website. Mm -hmm. I get that because that's what you're used to. Basically stick to what you're used to. If you're selling mainly on Amazon in the US, well then just transfer that to Amazon in Europe because it's really straightforward to do. The majority of the tools and functionality and the design of the platform is exactly the same. It makes no difference. Mm. So stick with what I didn't say, stick with what you're used to start off with. Are there are some other better platforms that might work better in those regions? More than likely yeah. is the honest answer. But don't necessarily go around to do that straight off the bat. Stick with what you're used to that works. And then you've got to think about which countries am I going to do first? So broad understanding, I'm going to take Amazon as a great example because it accounts for a lot of a, a lot of sellers that, that listen to e-commerce um, podcasts. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, the UK and Germany account for two thirds of all sales across Europe on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So if you talk about a launch strategy, where would you launch? Well, the UK, Germany, and I'm going to put in Netherlands, and we'll come on to Netherlands why when we get to logistics later, is that you launch by launching in the UK and Germany, you've got two thirds of all opportunities in Europe. Yep. So actually your marketplace strategy is launching those two first because you can tackle the majority of, of Amazon from there. And other things that come in there, so things to consider is you need to consider uh, listings and translations. Mm -hmm. Make sure your, la your listings are translated in relevant country and you've got some keywords in the relevant translation. You need to make sure you've got a payment system set up because if you just get Amazon, for example, to pay you directly into your bank account, if it's in a different currency, Amazon stings you for the interest charge. So you want to make sure you've got a decent payment gateway to make that work. You then need to make sure you've got someone that can ship your products to where you need to get to. Mm -hmm. So within this, it was marketplace launch. This could come into 3PL next, I guess. But you need to make sure you've got a way of shipping products into the marketplace mm -hmm. or into a 3PL, which we'll come on to next. And your customs is all sorted. And you want to have that set up so it's ready to go when you're launching on that marketplace mm -hmm. to get products into region as quickly as possible. So decide on the marketplace get a payment gateway, get the listings and translated sorted and shipping and customs. And what I'd say on listings and translations, it's crucial that you get those done. But, and here's the but, is have an 80-20 rule. You're never going to get it to 100% correct mm. because you're just launching. It's never going to be right. If you stagnate and think, or procrastinate would probably be a better word, about, you know, oh, well, I'm not going to get that done yet, so I won't launch yet. It won't ever happen. Mm. Get the majority of it done and then tweak it after because it will never be perfect anyway. Good tip. Top tip. And why did you, um, I'm curious to, to understand why you mentioned the Netherlands. Yeah. So the reason for the Netherlands is coming into Europe. The Netherlands is the gateway into Europe from a logistics point of view, because basically shipping into lots of European countries, they just make it really quite difficult. Mm. The Germans are renowned for making sure that the paperwork for example, is 100% correct. Yeah. And also making your life really, really difficult. Fact. If you speak to, go to any e-commerce forum and say oh, shipping no, to Germany. I guarantee you, I, I can attest to this fact. And you're <laughs> preaching to the converted bud. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. So as well as the Dutch are more like, come on in guys, let's have some fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And that's why we, so we have a warehouse in the Netherlands mm -hmm. for that very reason, because it's a gateway in and you can ship to all over Europe from the Netherlands. No problems, relatively straightforward mm -hmm. and easy. You can even use something called limited fiscal representation going through the Netherlands into Germany. So you don't even need to be VAT registered in Germany, okay. uh, sorry, in Netherlands to get to Germany. Mm -hmm. So you can ship your products, let's say from the UK through the Netherlands into Germany, but because the end destination is Germany, you can use something called limited fiscal representation, which means you don't need to be VAT registered there. It's a, it's an easy fix if you want to do it on the odd occasion. It's not a solution if you want to ship lots of products, right. but it does help to unlock an initial transaction, for example. Okay. Top tips there. Okay. So 3PL, what do you mean by 3PL? So you need to have a third party logistics operation in some form near to, or in the region that you want to sell. Yeah. So if you're in the UK, you need some form of operation that can do store your goods, fulfill your goods, rework your goods or do returns. Exactly the same in Europe. And the reason for that is that one, getting stock in through the logistics network is really, really tough. Yeah. So getting stock out of China is difficult. So you need to make sure you've got buffer stock in region. Now, whether that be your garage or somebody else's warehouse doesn't really matter, but you need to have the ability to fulfill into to top up so you don't run out of stock mm -hmm. an operation that, you know, can solve those problems. Now, when you are not in that region, it makes it really difficult to do that. So you need to have some form of third party logistics that can help prove or solve those issues. So a typical client of ours would send a container into one of our warehouses, either UK or Europe, send, let's say, half of it into Amazon, uh, into FBA and keep the other half. Mm -hmm. Now, when the other half is in the warehouse, you can do several things. One, you could just leave it there if you wanted and then just top it up into Amazon when they run out of stock. Great, no problems with that whatsoever. You can have the returns come there and they can be reworked, mm -hmm. either be sold back on Amazon or put onto eBay or destroyed, whatever it needs needs to happen to that. You know, if something comes in from China and it needs reworking because, I say China because a lot of sellers yeah. have stock coming in from China. Other locations are available. Uh, you can basically have that stock come in and we've all had it where the stock's come in and we realize the wrong barcodes on something. Mm -hmm. So you need the ability to put new barcodes on. So you might need that problem. Um, or what you might do is say, well, we've put that other half in there into Amazon. We've got half sat in the warehouse. Why don't we make that work for us while it's there and launch that on other marketplaces or own website mm -hmm. and then just fulfill direct to the consumer from, from there. Because even if you sell 10 products a day, which might not be very much, but actually if it takes you three months, you 90 days, that's 900 products. You've got less in the warehouse mm -hmm. that you, that you didn't have. Yeah. So all of a sudden you've signed 900 products. You're then not paying storage on those 900 products. Mm -hmm. Like that's gotta be a win. You've sold those. And the way that you win in e-commerce is by selling your products as quickly as possible to get the cash in the bank, mm -hmm. to get more products, to get more stock out the door as quickly as you can. Yeah. It's all about stock rotation, a minimum amount of stock on the shelf. While it's on a shelf, it costs you money. Mm -hmm. And you don't want it on the shelf, you want it in people's hands. Yep. So the more you can do around that, and that's why 3PL works really well, especially since, you know, let's say COVID was a great example where... Amazon shuts its doors and you can't sell on, you can't get your products into Amazon because it's, you know, it's only 
you know, um, you know, products for COVID or whatever, mm. face masks or whatever it happens to be. So you need seller fulfilled prime enabled potentially in those regions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why 3PL can be really, really useful in those areas. So um, I guess one question here is how do you find um, uh, a good 3PL? I mean, what are some of the things that you need to look for? So the key things I would suggest is one, they're used to working in e-commerce. Mm-hmm. They understand e-commerce. Like they understand it's all got to be done tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so what you're looking for there is, is how long does it take goods to come in versus goods going out? Mm-hmm. Quite, quite. So, so what we do is we basically solve all the problems on the inbound because it wants to go out tomorrow mm-hmm. or that day, whether it be to FBA or direct to the consumer, it needs to go today. Yeah. So uh, you need to be able to make sure that they're geared up for solving the problems on the way in so that it can go out quickly. Mm-hmm. So there's the first thing. They need to be able to send directly into Amazon or the or you know, whatever you're shipping to. They need to understand the requirements for doing that. They need to have the ability to do direct to consumer in our experience. Yeah. You wanted someone that can do both. Uh, and you also want them to be able to do reworks and returns. So your returns coming in, you need to be able to process and either destroy quickly or put back to stock quickly. Coming back to the point of you need to rotate your stock as quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, even if you if even if you make a, a a minor loss on that product of a pound, that's better than destroying the product and losing three. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. You need to recoup, and you want to you want people that can be able to do that for you. So there, I think some of the keys, some of the things we're seeing at the moment is that. There's not many 3PLs or warehouses and storage providers that want to do both. They don't want to do direct to consumer and to FBA. Right. They want to do one or the other. Um, I think that's because, you know, when you start looking at really fast pick and pack, sending cartons and pallets into Amazon is a real bull lake. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a really difficult uh, operation to have both and, there's not very many people who can do that. So it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for um, a D2C operation, then you might be better off going to a di- only someone that does direct to consumer. Yeah. That's you know, solely focused on that because they will be a hundred percent slicker at doing that um, than someone that does both yeah. or just does FBA. You know, we do both. Uh, the problem with that is that we have to split stock on the way in for it to go to the consumer or to go to FBA. Yeah. No problem. The downside to that takes a little bit longer for it to get our stock in. You know, it takes 48 hours to do that instead of 24 hours sometimes. Mm. Like for some people, that doesn't make much difference. Mm. Um, and if you're a well-organized seller, that won't make any difference. Yeah, um, uh, top tips. Uh, very good top tips. So, market research, compliance, uh, marketplace launch, three PL, three party, uh, third party logistics, and then promote products was your f- fifth one. So, what uh, this is marketing, yeah. right? Exactly that. So, if you think that you're going to be able to launch your product, stick it on a website, and not do any promotion, <laughs> you may as well go home now. Yeah. Uh, so, this bit is about basically telling people you need to promote your product mm. and there's a whole load of different ways in which you can do that. And all of those ways are constantly changing. So what we first saw don't work longer works because mm-hmm. the market's adapted and changed and the policies have changed or the software has changed for lots of different reasons. You know, so it's about finding what's the right way to promote your product today 
um, rather than what happened yesterday mm-hmm. because it's constantly changing. But let's be honest, there's some pretty standard ways of doing that. Yep. You know, you're going to have to pay someone somewhere to drive traffic to said product. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter whether it's on a marketplace or whether it's on your own website and you're, you're bringing social in. You know, either way, you need to generate traffic in one form or another in order to promote your product. And quite honestly, there's a whole load of different ways you do that. But but the bottom line is, is you need to generate traffic of some description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And listen, I, I, I appreciate it. People might be listening and go, well, that's an obvious thing to say. And it is. But there are still people out there that think if you build it, they will come. And, you know, and it's no, it's not true anymore. You've got to actually have a really good marketing strategy. And that marketing strategy um, has got to work for the area that you're going into right so what works for us here in the uk might not make sense for um a marketplace based in the netherlands for example and so yep. you, you know this again comes back down to your market research doesn't it and finding out what strategies work in that in that space which is why you're gonna have to pay somebody to help you because you're not gonna know right you just you're not and so find someone that can that can help you in that area okay so uh sixth Number six on the list, website. We, we've not we've not touched this yet in some respects. So why is this so far down the list? So the majority of the sellers that we work with come from a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So because they come from marketplaces, what happens is, is that they're really focused on marketplaces. So for us, the website piece comes much further down the line once they're settled in region. Mm-hmm. So once they're in the region and they, they've, they've selling products, they've proven the model, then what they can do is they they can then create their own website or hopefully, (laughs) hopefully they're already selling on their own website in their own country. Yeah. They can just add a new domain, .co.uk, .de, .it, Mm -hmm. .es, whatever it happens to be into that um, search, into that, onto that platform and they can start carry on selling. Mm -hmm. You, we see now that the brands again that are winning are those that have an omni-channel approach those that have an ability to create their own list. So by creating their own list, when they bring out a new product, they can market their products back to the same customers. Like that works really, really well. That's really sensible. And I know that some of the marketplaces are actually catching on to this and mm. starting to give you the ability to start doing some of this as well, which is really, really encouraging. Um, but the, the bottom line is, is that you need, to, if you get switched off from a marketplace, you need to be able to sell your product somewhere mm-hmm. and you need to have your own website to do that. You know, this is by far the, 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 the sort of the, the next strategy in your process. Now for some sellers, actually the website and marketplace pieces might swap over. So mm-hmm. instead of this being sixth, it might be third and marketplace might be sixth instead of third. So depending on you as a seller, and what you and how you currently do it, you might actually swap these over. Again, there's no problem with that. You know, it's designed to be slightly adaptable according to you, mm-hmm. like you, you as a brand. Um, so that, that there's three core things to think about. One, you've got to build the store. Makes perfect sense. Yep. Two, you want to build a list. And third, we've put on here what we class as the dream 100. So you don't really want to be selling to your top 100 sellers. What you want to be, do is create top hundred influencers, for example, who are, who are already in contact with a hundred clients each. So hundred times hundred is a lot better than just 100. Yeah. Like you've got to have the ability to adapt that and adapt differently. So don't think, well, I'll build a website and I'll just sell to people individually. No, no, no. Think about how you can build a website 
build a following yes social all the rest of it we've talked about social and promote you know you need a social interaction but you create the top 100 influencers that are already talking to people like and actually from a business point of view whatever you do this is a great thing to do who are the top 100 partners you can work with that can elevate your brand in any way shape or form and actually it doesn't actually matter if that's on amazon either you know you can have you know someone doing an unboxing video on youtube and send them to your amazon listing mm -hmm. no dramas um actually that's great for ranking um so there we go so that's that's the website piece yeah and finally growth yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, for me, we were unsure whether to call this growth or scale. Once you've got all of these pieces in, you're constantly scaling, you're constantly growing. Mm -hmm. But at this point, you really are looking to, you really, really capitalize on everything you're doing to take it to the next level. And there's three areas in here that you should be considering. One is, you know, what additional marketplaces do you need to be on mm -hmm. and how do you build on the marketplaces you're already on? So let's say you're on, we talked about being on Amazon in the UK and Germany, for example. Well, how do you get on, on Italy, Spain, France, Czech, Poland, Sweden, Netherlands, mm -hmm. you know, and the others that will come shortly, you know, so you should be getting on those, but what other marketplaces are there? You know, let's talk about, you know, the UK, eBay, really straightforward and easy. Onbuy, straightforward and easy. Frugo, straightforward and easy. And a whole load of others that could be put into contention. Etsy, Wayfair. You know, there, there are ones in there that you could easily work with. You know, mm -hmm. we've just wish, you know, wishes as a massive transformation over the last six months and could be an amazing opportunity for a lot of sellers. So, you know, but then you get into other countries, you know, Netherlands. You know, Amazon isn't the biggest marketplace in the Netherlands. Bowl is. Like you want to be on bold.com. You don't want to be on Amazon. I mean, you want to be on Amazon, but mm. bold.com is much better. And then you get into Allegro, you can get into Otto, CD discount, real Otto and all those other countries. What other marketplaces should you be on? Yeah. And if you're working with a decent agency or service provider, what they're going to be able to do is they're going to be able to connect you from their warehouse into all these other platforms. Mm -hmm. And then they can just, yeah, if you get one order a day from 20 platforms, great. Yeah, doesn't matter. You're still reducing your stock by 20, 20 products a day. They're sat in the warehouse anyway. Mm -hmm. Like it makes perfect sense. Um, so, so that's, that's the first thing is to adapt and evolve into further marketplaces. The next one is by getting into retail. Mm -hmm. What retail can you get into? Can you work with distributors that can help get your products into boots or department stores or other local shops? Um, so that's the next thing. And that's relatively complicated to do unless you know different distributors so we're we're really trying to build out different distributors in different niches to say well here's a distributor in the baby section mm -hmm. go talk to these here's one in toys here's one in food here's one in supplements here's one in whatever else that comes with that yeah because if we can help focus you into those that really really works mm -hmm. and then the last thing because it's really popular right now is exit like how do you exit your brand mm -hmm. and what does that look like and i'm not going to go into that because there's a million one people talking about it right now but you know it's, it's about that growth piece and if you're thinking about you get to this point and what does success look like we talked about right at the beginning is typically our sellers that are selling in the u.s their target should be 80 percent of their u.s sales here in europe mm -hmm. that's what success is the measurement for us okay so basically that's where we aim to get our clients to 
um, when they expand through this pathway. So client comes in and says, hey, Andy, I want to successfully expand to Europe. What does that look like? Well, by the time they get to the growth piece, when they're working with our growth managers throughout, the growth manager's target is to get them to 80% of their US sales. Mm -hmm. We're going to adapt that soon. And hopefully we're going to get to 100% by, by just adapting that to globally. So it might be Japan and Australia and stuff like that to add in. But that will come in time. Today, we're focused on the Europe and it's 80% of the US sales. That's a really good metric. It's really, I've, I've, so good, I've written it down. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know what um, uh, some of my sites actually sales are in relation to those figures. So I'll, I'm going to go and check. Uh, Andy, listen, there is so much value that you've given and I... Um, I get that uh, you, you've covered a lot, right? So there's a couple of things. One, you've covered a lot, and I think we will put comprehensive show notes together so people can sort of get hold of this information because um, I think right. people will want to go over it again. But I, I appreciate, like, since Brexit, for example, there's a lot of change for people who distribute from the UK to Europe, and there's a yes. whole bunch of things that have gone on and questions that people are going to have. So if people want to get hold of you, if they want to reach out to you, how do they do that? Yeah, great. Thanks. So I think um, I think the UK Brexit thing is a big thing. Just pick up on that. We've not talked about that. That whole Brexit, you know, UK to Europe, Europe to UK is really easy. Mm. People are overcomplicating it right now and they should just think it's easy because mm. it is. Um, so if people want to get in contact with us, really, really straightforward. There's several things you can do. You can either Google global e-commerce experts and we're hopefully fingers crossed we're going to come up uh we should do if um, working, yeah, you yeah. can yeah yeah we you can contact us on uh, all the social platforms mm -hmm. wherever works best for you you know i don't think we're particularly heavy on tiktok um because uh that's not me right now although our new marketing person is convinced that i'm going there very very soon okay um reels. but reels and tiktok videos exactly that so but really realistically the easiest way is to go to linkedin and go andy hooper and you're going to find me on LinkedIn. And then I'm going to be able to, you can ask me any questions you like, fire away. And then I'll direct you to the most relevant person within the team that can support you. If you want our um, six step, uh, sorry, our seven step guide, downloadable PDF, send me a, connect with me on LinkedIn and, uh, and ask for it and I'll get it sent over. And it's an ebook that people can get from us on how to expand, basically expanding a bit more detail in what we talked with Matt today mm -hmm. about how they can do it. Fantastic. Um, and then you've got some notes on that as well. Fantastic. And we will put a link to Andy and everybody uh, in the show notes, like I say. So uh, before we end though, Andy, I'm curious, uh, UK to Europe post-Brexit is easy. Uh, I, I know a lot of people that are going to argue with you on this one. So why would you say that? <laughs> uh, so before... Before Brexit, 98% of our business was all focused with sellers based in the States expanding into Europe. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether they're expanding into the UK or to Germany, those are the two biggest markets. We've been doing it for years. Mm. American sellers have been doing this for years. And what's happened is, is that the typical Brits, typical Brits and some Europeans, is that when something changes... It, everything goes in the too difficult pole because we don't understand it. And what happens is because the regulations change, no one's actually said to us, here's what you need to do step by step to make sure that's solvable. Mm. Well, the good news is for anyone listening today, you can take these seven steps 
and you can utilize these and you can go through these seven steps and that's how to expand back into Europe. Now, there's a few complications that have arisen since. Do you need an entity? Do you not need an entity? How do you ship things into Europe and how easy is that? And the biggest problem we all had was shipping things into Europe. Mm -hmm. It was the biggest problem. It was the biggest pain. So we've got ways around that. We can solve those things for you. Most of those engage with a UK, Netherlands and Germany strategy mm. in one form or another. By having VAT registration in the Netherlands or limited fiscal representation in the Netherlands, you ship stuff into the Netherlands and you're back into Europe literally overnight. Most people are probably already have, still have VAT in most of the European countries, mm. unless you've really thrown your toys out the pram and got rid of your VAT numbers as well. And I know things changed because life changes. That's mm. what happens yeah. as business owners. What's going to happen is Brexit has thrown everything out the out the out the uh, box, and you've got to re-put the box back together yeah, yeah. and understand how to do that—the jigsaw, whatever you want to call it. Within three months' time, there'll be something else. And you know, as a business owner, your role is to solve problems and to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And if you are unsure on those, we've got to find experts that are available that can do that. Yeah. And some of that is just about finding who those people are. Who's already done this? Who's made it a success? Obviously, we'd love to talk to you. We can do that for you. But I'm sure there's other people that have done that now mm. that can make that happen as well that you may know. You know, it's there's a problem. The rule book's been ripped up and we've got to start again. Okay, who's got the rule book? How do I change that? Because in a year's time, it won't be Brexit. It'll be something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, very good. I like that. Uh, Brexit is easy. So uh, that that's a really good quote, which we'll put on social media. I've no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Andy, listen, thank you so much for your time, but it's been an absolute treat and privilege to uh, to converse with you, good self. Um, I've got lots of notes. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Matt, thanks very much for your time. Much appreciated. So there you have it. Another fantastic conversation. And again, huge thanks to Andy for joining me on the podcast today. Now, don't forget, if you're new to the show, you can check out our complete back catalogue over on our newly revamped website, which you can reach at ecommercepodcast.net. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, because as always, we've got some more great content lined up and I don't want you to miss any of it. No, I don't. More great people like Andy are coming very, very soon. So do subscribe to the show. Thanks for listening. And in case no one has told you today, you, my friend, are awesome.